That's right. Now, if you're just joining us, as Pastor Dave mentioned, we are, uh, last week we concluded our series on the promises of God. Uh, Today we're beginning a new series on the book of Hebrews that we are entitling Greater Than Courageous Faith in the Face of Fill in the Blank. Now, this is a timely series because I suspect many of us are facing something that we need courage for. Now, courage is really an interesting word. In fact, let me give you a definition at the outset here. Courage is the state or quality of mind that enables one to face danger or fear with confidence and resolution. So courage is the state or quality of mind that enables one to face danger or fear with confidence and resolution. And courageous faith is the ability to face any obstacle with the confidence that we know that Jesus is greater and Jesus is with us. And sometimes walking with Jesus in a fallen world can feel like an intense boxing match. Does anybody remember that movie Rocky? Right Now, I remember that there's, there's been a number of sequels and stuff. There's even some Creed movies coming out that are related to this. But the original Rocky movie was released in 1976, before I was born. But don't worry, I've seen it. Um, now, the film tells the story of Rocky Balboa, an uneducated, kind-hearted, working-class Italian-American who works as a debt collector in the slums of Philadelphia. Now, on the side, what he does is he boxes in fight clubs. That is, until one day he gets drafted unexpectedly to contest the World Heavyweight Championship against the reigning champion, Apollo Creed. Now, the film was nominated for Best Picture that year, and I was thinking this week, why was that? Because it's a classic underdog story, right? Nobody thinks Rocky has a chance to beat Apollo, Now, the movie has a lot of other relationships and characters, but the climax of the movie is the third act, and it happens when there's a fight between Apollo and Rocky. On New Year's Eve, Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed meet in the ring, and for 15 rounds, they battle it out blow for blow. They both sustain injuries. The fight ends with both fighters locked in each other's arms, exhausted, trying to last one final blow as the, the, the bell rings. Now, unfortunately, ultimately, Apollo wins due to a split decision, but at that point, Rocky doesn't care. He's just happy to have been in the ring. Now, here's what I want you to see at the outset here. Rocky was an underdog, yes. He was going up against the reigning champion, Apollo Creed, who was this fierce competitor, a tenacious fighter, and Rocky had every reason to be scared. But he had somehow built up the courage and the stamina to go toe-for-toe with Apollo for 15 hard-fought rounds. How was he able to face this giant in the ring? He needed courage. The ability to face fear with confidence and resolution. Now, the story of Rocky Balboa can teach us some lessons, I think, about how to live the Christian life. Because many of us right now in this room or watching at home are in your own ring facing your own version of Apollo Creed. Fear is mounting. People seem to be out to get us. Right, so maybe you're listening today and you're a parent and you feel ill-equipped to raise your child in an increasingly hostile world towards people of faith. Maybe you're a teenager listening today who's, incredibly, uh, who's facing incredible pressure at school either to, to succeed or to fit in. Or you're a single person who's, who's dealing with the pain of loneliness and sometimes it feels too great to bear. Or maybe the financial pressures are just, are just consuming you right now. The bills are, are piling up and you're not quite sure how you're going to pay them. How do we maintain faith in Christ when pressure increases 
all of us are in our own ring with our own opponents. Now the question, the tension that we have to face is this, will we fight or will we flee? Right, psychologists talk about the fight or flight response we all have, and that response is, is an automatic physiological reaction to an event that is perceived as stressful or frightening. In other words, when stress comes in your life, when the opponent attacks, we have this choice. Will we fight or will we flee? What ring are you facing right now? Where are you feeling the tension of fight or flight? See, Rocky didn't have to fight Apollo, but he somehow found the courage to get in the ring. And as Christians, we can... We can take confidence and have courage because our Savior steps in the ring with us and we need to trust him. That is what the book of Hebrews is about. Courage in the face of opposition because our God is greater than whatever we will face. Now, this is the first message in this series, and so I'm going to give you an overview of the book, touching briefly on the opening verses. And so I want to give you this fair warning at the beginning here. I'm going to be all over the place in the book of Hebrews today, so try to keep up. I'm also going to be all over the stage because we have a great set to work with today. Um, what I'd like to do is give you three main points that will help us understand the, the overall message of the book of Hebrews, and those points are this. First, we're going to examine the setting. Second, we're going to learn that we need to listen to God's voice. And then finally, we're going to see we need to get in the gym, Okay. So keep up with me, three points. Uh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts today as we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask you so much that you would come and speak to us today. Help us to hear your voice, Lord. Help us to know deep down in our hearts and get the truth deep down in our hearts that you, Lord Jesus, are greater than whatever opponent we are facing. And I suspect in a crowd this big and those that are watching at home or those that are listening later on, Lord God, there are some major opponents we are facing Build our faith. Help us to have the courage because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. We pray that in your magnificent name. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so you'll notice that the graphic for our series is a boxing ring. And as I said before, all of us are in our own ring. So let me just take you back here for a second. Because if you've ever watched a boxing match, you know that when the fighter comes up, they usually come up here, they're jumping up and down, and then they somehow have to get into the ring. And when they get into the ring, they then start to take um, notice of what's going on. They have to examine their setting. And in the setting of the boxing ring, what are they doing? You know, you're in one corner, you're looking at your opponent in the other corner, you're taking in the referee that's around you, you're listening to the crowds that are on your side, you're examining the setting. And so what I want to ask you today is, again, what is your ring? What ring are you facing? What does your ring look like? Now, when you get in the ring, some of us also um, realize that there's another tension that we have to face, and that is the reality that a lot of us would prefer not to fight. Right? Many of us are conflict avoiders. We, we don't understand why we can't all just get along, and then all of a sudden you're thrust in a boxing ring and you don't know what to do. Sometimes it's not an option to avoid that circumstance or that person that you're facing. And really, the Christians in the first century had their own ring. They had their own setting. They faced a culture that was hostile to their faith. Some of them were thrown, into the, thrown to the lions in the Roman arena. Some, like Paul, encountered angry mobs who ran them out of town and tried to stone them because of their faith. But 
Somehow they had courage because they believed that Jesus was greater than their opponents. And so it's important to examine the setting to understand the book of Hebrews. And when we we look at Bible books, we ask a couple questions. The first one we ask is, who was the author? Right? Who wrote the book? And that's really a peculiar point for the book of Hebrews. If you studied it before, you know that we really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know who wrote the book of love, or I guess maybe we asked that question, but who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. The author never identifies themselves. Now, there's been lots of intriguing theories about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some argue it was Paul, but I got to tell you, really, if you read the book of Hebrews, stylistically, it really doesn't look like Paul's other letters. So if it wasn't Paul, scholars suggest, well, maybe it was somebody who was in his circle that was a gifted orator or writer like, like Barnabas or Apollos or Luke. Now, personally, I think there's compelling evidence that either Apollos or Luke wrote this letter, but in reality, we, we don't know. We don't know who wrote it. Now, similarly confusing is that we're really not, we don't know who wrote the book, but we also don't know who the audience was. Who was the letter written to? We don't know the recipients. And traditionally, people have argued that it was maybe written to Jewish Christians in Palestine and Jerusalem or to Rome. Another theory that I found out this week suggested that it was written to some former priests from the book of Acts, chapter 6, who fled to Syria, Antioch. Others say it was written to both Jewish and Gentile Christians generally in the ancient world. Again, we don't know for certain But it does seem that it was written somewhere before 70 AD because there's no mention of the temple destruction, which was a major major event in the ancient world. Now, while we don't know the audience or the author, we do thirdly ask what was the purpose, and within the text, we do get some clues as to why the book was written. So that's helpful. The content of the letter makes a few things clear. First, there's some encouragement and warning passages And so the writer encourages the believers to have courage because why? Because of the supremacy of Christ. And there are warnings about falling away from the faith. So commentator Richard Phillips sums up the purpose of Hebrews this way. He says, the writer warns Christians not to fall back from faith in Christ in the midst of trials and exhorts them to press on to full maturity. So it seems that these Christians were indeed facing intense hardships for their faith, and as a result, there was a temptation to abandon or to flee from their faith in Christ for fear of retribution. So you see passages like this throughout the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or you'll see something like this in Hebrews chapter 6 where the the author writes, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the the, the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So again, these believers needed encouragement and exhortation to remain in the faith. They needed to fight for their faith. If they choose to flee... The writer offers some warnings, like this one in Hebrews chapter 10, where he says, or she says, um, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, are, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, that's a chilling verse. We'll get to that later on. Whatever is going on in their ring, it seems that the Hebrews have been knocked down enough times that, that they que- they're questioning their commitment to Christ, 
What they needed was renewed courage, and so Hebrews reads a little bit less like a letter and a lot more like a sermon. Now, here's the question I want you to ask yourself today, and really throughout the series. This is the key question for the whole series of the book of Hebrews. Do I believe that Jesus is greater than my opponent? Do I believe that Jesus is greater than my opponent? Because if you want to have courage in the face of opposition, you must believe that Jesus is greater than whoever or whatever that opponent may be. And what the writer does in Hebrews is systematically go through and proves how Jesus is greater than anything and everything, including the old covenant promises, or practices, I should say. Now, after a brief opening... We get into the structure of the book. I want to walk you through this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 begins that opening section, and it shows how Jesus is greater. The first thing it shows is this. Jesus is greater than angels. Okay, so the writer says in Hebrews 1, 4, he talks about Jesus having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then in the middle of this section, there's actually a call to respond to this one who is greater. And so we're asked... Who is, do I believe that Jesus is greater? And then it shifts in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, where we learn that Jesus is a greater priest. And that priestly theme comes up over and over again. Hebrews 2, 17 says, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a what? A merciful and faithful high priest in the servants of God to make propitiation for sin, the sins of the people. Like I said, the priestly theme comes up over and over again in the book. Now, a priest is characteristically merciful and faithful, and Jesus exemplifies both. He sympathizes with us, we're told. If you need courage to get through an emotionally painful time, we'll cover that over and over again throughout this book because Jesus is a great priest. Thirdly, Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. The Melchizedek. Now, this, this really right here is the main section of the letter. It focuses primarily on how Jesus is greater than, those old, than the Old Covenant. And many of you probably don't know who Melchizedek is, but don't worry, Pastor Dave is going to explain it in detail when we get there uh, in order to show us who he is. But this, this section begins in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. It shifts the focus to the central theme again about the, priest, the priesthood. Hebrews 8 and 9 specifically tells us how Jesus, as the high priest, was perfected through his suffering, his death, his heavenly exaltation. His sacrifice was great and final once for all, we're told. No more sacrifice is needed. And then Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 39 concludes that section and warns us about abandoning the faith. And again, throughout it, we're asking the question, do I believe Jesus is greater? Now, once you get to the fourth section, we get to some of the more well-known sections of Hebrews. And here, Jesus now calls us to faith and endurance. So Hebrews 11.1 1 begins that great section on faith. And then chapter 12 shows us what, he, what he, Jesus had to endure to save us. Here, we really see this great comparison between the boxing ring, right? If you're going to get through the fight, what do you need? You need faith, and you need to endure when there's opposition, and in order to do that, you have to believe that Jesus is greater, because he is. And we can find the courage to endure as we place our faith in him. And then finally, chapter 12 and 13, in conclusion, the writer gives us some practical tools about godly living. He calls us to pursue godly living and offers some practical examples. But we only pursue this godly living if we believe that Jesus is greater. So, 
We don't know who the specific audience was. We don't know who the specific author was, but we do know a decent amount about their setting. We know their boxing ring. And we know that the message of Hebrew calls them and it calls us to cling to Christ in the midst of opposition. Why? Because Jesus is greater than whatever we will face. And that's the message that we need to hear today. Because we know this intuitively, but it must be stated explicitly, we are today living as a religious minority in America. Right? We need courageous faith to get through the day. In fact, Dr. Daryl Bach makes this astute observation about our current cultural moment in his book, Cultural Intelligence. He says, the reason we are finding it so difficult to interact with our world is because we've lost this Judeo-Christian net. And this is what he says. He says, the situation has changed so much that one needs to argue that something is in the Bible because it's true. And that's distinctly different, a distinctly different kind of argument and in many ways a much harder argument to make. So people in our culture don't view the Bible favorably. In fact, someone make the argument that if you believe the Bible, you're actually immoral. And that leads to us being social outcasts. Or some people would say, well, you know what? We're not, we're not going to be beheaded like, like ISIS did to those people on the beach a few years ago. Well, that is not happening in America yet, but it is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. And there is a social ostracism that Christians are beginning to face. This is our boxing ring. So you might be experiencing what people have called the moral revolution. And if you hold on to a biblical view of morality, people don't just look at you funny, they actually are hostile to you if you don't agree with them. And that's certainly true in matters of sexuality and identity. In fact, Christian colleges right now are having to decide if they're going to take federal money if they disagree on those issues. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, the right side of history. It's used often. Currently, the right side of history stands firmly on the side of the secular worldview and opposed to the Christian worldview. And if you hold on to a biblical worldview and the implications of that, that the word of God is true and is authoritative in our lives, you're probably going to be in a minority. So now, more than ever in recent history, Christians are having to choose. So maybe you're not going to be beheaded, but you may have to ask the question, well, am I willing to lose my job? Or not get that promotion? Am I willing to lose social capital? Am I willing to go to jail? When you choose Jesus, you will likely face opposition. And this is where that fight or flight response will come. And some people will leave the faith if it gets too hard. Those who hold to Jesus will face the consequences, but they will have Jesus. And again, you have to believe Jesus is greater. So we're in the ring. We will fight. We will, as Jude says, contend for the faith. Or will we run away to what is easier? There's a choice. And in order to stay strong, the second thing we need to do is listen to God's voice. Listen to God's voice. So let's come back to the boxing ring for just a second, because, you know, one of the things that happens is that the, 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 the boxers get up there, they fight it out for uh, round after round, three minutes around, and then they get like a minute break. And the, and the fighters, after they're done, come back, and they fall onto the, in the corner, onto the bench, and they're sitting there bloody and beaten, gasping for breath. There, there's sweat coming down their face. They pull out the towels and try to, try to get themselves cleaned off. As they're gasping for breath, as they're taking a break, what happens? Their coach comes over next to them and starts to encourage them, 
right? That the coach comes over and he's saying, you know what? I noticed uh, these tips about the other fighter. You got to watch out for that right hook. You got to get your feet moving a little quicker. You got to bob and weave. And he encourages the fighter to continue to go. He reminds him or her to, to keep going and to not take that towel and throw it in because they have that option, right? If you're getting too tired, if you don't want to continue the fight, you can take the towel and throw it in and say you're done. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing right here is showing us as Christians that we should not throw in the towel. So before he walks us through these key points, he lays a foundation, or he or she lays a foundation in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It's like he's that coach shouting in our ears, letting, telling us not to throw in that towel. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, long ago and in many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So what does he say in the first verse? He says, God has spoken. Do you believe God speaks? Now, I recognize that can be a loaded question, but it certainly, it certainly uh, tells us that we, can, that we can believe that God speaks to us through the scriptures, his word. And in this verse, the author is specifically recounting how God provided prophets to communicate to his people before these words were written down. Now, today, there are times in our life when we crave to hear the voice of God, Right, when we're in the ring, when we're bloody and beaten and we're out of breath, we need God's voice in our ears reminding us who he is and what he has done for us. And that's where he goes next in verse 2. He says, he, he, the writer says this, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Now, that phrase, last days, which I circled for you right there, is an important phrase. When the biblical writers use that term, they are referring to all the days after Jesus' ascension until his return. In other words, right now, we are living in the last days. And what does he say? He says, God has spoken to us by whom? By his son, Jesus, who's in the corner with us when our opponents are coming for us. He is the one who is in the corner with us when the circumstances of life throw us a curveball. He is in the corner with us when our bodies are giving out and when our relationships are falling apart and when all hope seems lost. He's shouting in our ears above the screams of the crowd, I am greater. Because you see, throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer is consistently and, and constantly answering two questions. Who is Jesus and what has he done? Who is Jesus and what has he done? And the answer to those questions should give us courage to endure. So the writer focuses on those questions in these opening three verses, and then he cycles back to them over and over again in the book. So, who is Jesus? First, we see that Jesus is God. What does Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 say? It says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Now, that word radiates means that he reflects God. His glory shines through Jesus. Commentator F.F. F. Bruce notes that this word shows the divine origin of the Son, Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, meaning that he possesses all the characteristics of God. Jesus brings them into clear focus for us. And so we can have courage because Jesus is all-powerful. Second, Jesus is our creator. 
What does it say in verse 2? It says, God spoke to us through his son, through whom he created the world. In other words, if you, if you look around at creation, if you look at the person sitting next to you, either here or at home right now, you are looking at God's creation. If you look through a telescope and see the expanse of the universe, Jesus made that. What does it say in verse 3? It says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That means that Jesus is powerful, yes, but more than that, Jesus created you. He created me. And those of you listening today, some of you might not believe that, but I got to tell you, Jesus is your creator. And scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that he made us in his image to reflect him. And we can have courage because Jesus made all things. Third, Jesus is our priest. In other words, not only did he make us, but he cares for us. He loves us. He died for us. He didn't just make the world and walk away. So if you look back at verse 3, it tells us that Jesus made what? Jesus made purification for our sins. And I want to press into that point because this, this right here, again, is the outsized theme in Hebrews. Jesus' priestly service is his essential activity and his main reason for coming to earth. In other words, yes, Jesus made the world, but when everything went wrong in the world, when sin came in, when things were shattered, Jesus, as our great high priest, came to earth to make purification, or other translations say he purged us of our sins so that we could be made right with God. He came to save us. He came to redeem us through his death, burial, and resurrection. The writer of Hebrews goes to painstaking lengths to show the depth of Jesus' priestly, sacrificial work on our behalf. And we can have courage because Jesus walks with us. Now, finally, Jesus is our king. And if you look at the end of verse 3, you will see it says, He sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. And that's enthronement language, right? He shows us that his work on the cross is complete. And now he's ruling in heaven until he will come again and make this world right and new. And because he saved us, because he has shed his blood for us, we owe him our allegiance. And we can have courage because Jesus rules this world and one day he will come back physically to make all things right. So Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 lays the foundation of the letter. God has spoken through Jesus, and what has he said? He says that when you doubt who controls the world, remember that Jesus is God. He says when you doubt whether you have a purpose in this world, remember that Jesus is your creator. He says when you doubt that God still loves you and, and cares for you, remember that Jesus is your priest. And he says when you doubt, when your doubt tempts you to take matters into your own hands and go it alone, remember that Jesus is your king, he says. Let those truths give you courage in the face of opposition. Listen to Jesus' voice in the corner of your ring because church, here's the danger Here's the danger we have to recognize. We don't hear God's voice because we are listening to so many others. We don't hear God's voice because we are listening to so many others. Because when you're in the ring and the body blows are coming and the right hook catches you off guard, you don't often run to the corner to Jesus. We listen to the voices of the crowd or the voices of the deceptive messengers that are out there, the popular people on Twitter. Or the cable news anchors, 
or the podcasters or the self-help gurus. Our, our ears are attuned to the voices of the world. But if you want to hear the voice of God, you need to get in the corner alone with Jesus. You need to open up his word because God has spoken. And the message of Hebrews that we need to remember is this. He's saying, don't take this towel and throw it in. Don't do that. Stay with me. Trust me. Run to me because I will get, if you cannot get to the last round, I will fight for you and I will carry you to the end. Don't throw in the towel because what has he done for us? Hebrews 12 eloquently paints the picture. He says this, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for what? For the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when you get in the corner, you need to look to Jesus, who for that joy set before him went to the cross. He didn't have to. He was human, He probably had a fight-or-flight response. I mean, that was what his prayer in the garden was about, I think. But he went all the way to the end for God's glory and for his love for us. Shame couldn't stop him. Death could not end him. Because of his work on the cross, we can have courage in whatever we face. So what did Jesus do? He died to purge us of our sins. He defeated all our opponents, sin, hell, death, Satan, on the cross, what grace, what mercy. Christian, don't throw in the towel. Run the race, trusting in Jesus. Because once we examine the setting, once we listen to God's voice, there is one more theme that Hebrews emphasizes, and that is our training. And when you're training, you have to get in the gym. Right, you gotta get in the gym, right? That, that's, this is the ring back here. This is where the main event happens, but before you actually get in the ring, you got to go and get in the gym and build up some spiritual muscles. You got to put on the gloves and get ready for the fight. You got to get in the gym and you got to train. And when preparing for boxing, the elite fighter is going to pull out one of these things over here. It's a heavy bag, right? Now, I was doing some research on a heavy bag this week, and I found out that, yes, it's good for training punches and kicks like this, you know. Right, you can train. All right, give me a second, because I ran out of breath the first service. I didn't practice. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Yes, you can train for punches and kicks, but it also improves your strength and balance, okay, which, will, which you're going to need in a fight, right? It strengthens your heart and your circulatory systems because if you're going to get through the fight, you need what? You need stamina. So here's what I want you to remember, and listen closely about this because this is important. The key to building strength is resistance. And so often we try to run away from resistance, but resistance is the key to building strength because when you encounter resistance, the body develops new muscle fibers which build strength and mass. Now, do you know what that means? That means when we encounter resistance in life, and particularly because of our Christian faith, it it does what? It makes us stronger. And the stronger we get, in fact, I've I've heard it said that people have said throughout the history of the church, the church is stronger when it's persecuted. 
And the writer of Hebrews knows the circumstances these believers are facing, and what he wants to do, he or she wants to do, is strengthen their faith. Tell them to strengthen their faith, not to lose it. He wants them to be prepared to fight for their faith, not run away from it. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've personally watched people walk away from their faith. And what happens when that event occurs? That, that's like you're a college student, okay, and you go into a college classroom, and your professor starts to question your faith, and you don't know the answers. And so you think, well, this, this person's really, really smart, and so they must be right. Or, or a tragedy happens in your life, you lose a parent or a child or maybe you're facing an impending death or, or you lose the ability to do what you once did and you decide that God wasn't real because he didn't answer your prayers. Like that's the boxing ring. That's what real life is. And resistance can either build your faith or it can crush your faith. And what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do is to get into that spiritual gym And the scriptures actually train us to prepare for the fight. Now, I know for some of us, that's a different way of thinking about the Bible, right? It's not just this inspirational book, but it is actually a training book. And throughout the book of Hebrews, there are a number of warning passages that are intended to spur Christians on in their growth for their training for when resistance comes. Now, Pastor Mark Dever identifies seven. I just want to give you a couple to get get the pipe, uh, get the, to prime the pump. So here's a few examples. First, we see that there's a warning of ignorance. Chapter 2, verse 1, we saw that before. The writer says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Next slide, please. Therefore, we, have, uh, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, this is a warning we all need to heed. Okay? Some of us in this room, or watching at home, or listening later on, have attended church for a long time. We're professional Christians, right? We know the stories of the Bible. We might be able to cite a few verses. We can probably tell you that Jesus died for our sins and why and and the day that we received Jesus. But when resistance comes and when people question our faith or if following Jesus starts to cost us something like we talked about before, if we have not paid close enough attention, will we be prepared Can we articulate why it's true? Are we willing to lose something because of biblical convictions? Pay close attention, the writer says, or you might be liable to drift away. Second warning. There's a warning of stunted growth. Listen to Hebrews 5.12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you against the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, I want to say this gently but firmly. Hebrews makes it clear that if you are a true Christian, there is an expectation that you will grow in your faith. In fact, I would say that's an assumption of the New Testament in general. And yet many Christians have become stunted in their growth because they're distracted by the things of the world. Have you ever noticed that it is so easy for us to quote our favorite song lyrics or movie lines or slogans or evangelize people for our favorite products, we're able to do all those things, but we can't quote a single verse of Scripture. Or we don't tell a single person about the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. Some of us need, are, are still drinking milk when we should be eating steak, is what he's saying here. And here's the thing. That this kind of cheap grace, discipleship, as Bonhoeffer puts it, will get us by. This is why it's important. It will get us by when the culture approves of us, 
But when you encounter resistance, when being a Christian isn't popular or assumed, well, people will walk away from the faith because it's hard. What we need to do is get in the gym and prepare. We need to get around a community of believers who can build us up in the faith. Now third, he warns against resisting holiness. Remember again that chilling verse in Hebrews 10, 26? What does he say? Right, if you deliberately go on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now what's he talking about here? Is it a warning that if we continue to indulge in certain sinful habits, we have proven ourselves not to be in the faith? Again, we'll get to it down the road, but it should make us pause because holiness is a key theme in Hebrews. And if we want to grow and train in our faith, it is expected that we grow in holiness. God wants us to be holy as he is holy, and we should not take this for granted. Now, I'll give you one brief example that I think has permeated Christian culture, particularly younger Christian culture. I read, an, I read an article recently about a prominent actor who has been very vocal about his faith. And yet, when he got engaged to his current wife, they decided that they were going to move in together before they got married. Now, it seems that there is an assumption, even amongst Christians, that sex before marriage or living together before you're, you're wed are acceptable. Not a big deal. This is due, I think, to a lack of focus on holiness. Finally, he warns against losing faith. Hebrews 11, classic chapter on faith. How does it begin? With a definition. The writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And I want you to read that again very carefully. It is imperative to note two words in this verse that modify faith, assurance and conviction. Because when the world uses the phrase, I hope it works out, there is no assurance that it will. But that's not biblical faith. Because in the Bible, if you have faith in Christ, you also have an assurance that he will accomplish what he promised to accomplish. We, finished, we just finished a whole series on the promises of God. Right? And because he has assured us of the future, there is a conviction that we have that our faith is both durable and true. Church, the writer of Hebrews is exhorting us to get in the spiritual gym. He wants us to train because when the resistance comes from people or from circumstances, we need to be ready. Our faith muscles need to be strong so we don't drift away. And as we heed these warnings, we will grow. So examine the setting, listen to the voice of Jesus, get in the gym, and then you'll be able to make it to the end of the fight. Now, do you know what's interesting about the end of the movie Rocky? Right, the fight went 15 rounds, 15 rounds, and that's a long time to take a beating, right? In fact, Rocky became known for his ability to take a punch. Now, the movie was made in 1976, but did you know that in 1982, the boxing leagues decided that they were going to reduce the maximum number of rounds to 12? Why? Because they decided that it was too long and fighters couldn't keep up. Now, I, I get why that makes sense when it comes to boxing, but in real life, we don't have a choice. 
Right? We're in a battle, some of you right now, some of you listening at home, you're in a battle that's entering the 20th round, the 25th round, the 30th round, it feels like, and you're just like, oh, I wish it would end. Because for so many of us, this is the way it feels. We got the boxing gloves on, we're over at the bag, and we're getting punched. Right? So you're out there, and your faith is getting questioned. Or all of a sudden... You're losing friends because of your faith. Or that medicine that you were given that was supposed to work. You know what happened? It didn't. Or that that job that you were supposed to get, or that college you were supposed to get into, you didn't. Or that relationship that was supposed to lead to marriage, you thought that finally was going to get there, it just ended. And that's the way so many of us feel like. And in those moments, we need courage. Because when those moments come, we have a choice. We can either fight for our faith or we can flee. We can either be the punching bag or we can be the boxer. Because when you're the punching bag, that's when you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and we despair. But when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, we use it for resistance, for training. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is greater than any opponent that comes your way. The lion of the tribe of Judah is by our side, and we can have courage because our enemies fear him. So let me ask you, where do you need courageous faith today? Where do you need courageous faith today? And right now, I want you to pause and finish this sentence Jesus is greater than, what is it? Where do you need to be reminded that Jesus is greater in your life? And this week, I want you to take a few minutes each day to spend time with the Lord and ask him, Lord, give me courageous faith. Show me where you, Lord Jesus, are greater. Help me to fix my eyes on you. So I want to finish by telling you how our family has been facing and needing courageous faith recently. For those of you that have been around over the last year, I've spoken a number of times about our son, Josiah. And we've faced an opponent of circumstance. He was born with a bone marrow malfunction, and we discovered that he was in need of a transplant to support long-term life. Now, for the last six months, we've been anticipating his admission, mentally preparing for it, and now the time is here, and his admission date is next Monday, April 19th. He's going to spend at least five weeks at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Now, last Tuesday, Amanda and I went down for the pre-admission consent meeting with the doctors, and needless to say, it was intense. In fact, more intense than we expected. And so, as they were walking us through all the stuff, like the medicines he was going to have to take and the side effects and the complications, this is what it felt like. And some of you know what that feels like. Some of you know. And so we wept as we heard what we have to go, what he would have to go through in order to be saved. And it's in those moments that I understood much more deeply the heart of God the Father 
watching his son go to the cross. And so after it was over, Amanda just looked at me and she said, I have no idea how anybody gets through this without Jesus. And I've got to tell you, I can agree. I, I don't know how you do. I don't know how you endure something like that without fixing your eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross for us. Who offers us the promise of resurrection and hope, new heavens, new earth, no matter what happens. So right now we need courageous faith to believe that Jesus is greater and know Jesus is greater than our son's condition. And we want to use this time, this circumstance to experience the resistance and grow our faith. Grow our faith, Lord, is what we say. Now, unfortunately, we, we were told, this was a bit of a surprise to us, about some isolation requirements while he's in the hospital. And so this is actually the last sermon I'm going to be giving until around June. Um, and even then, we're going to need to keep our distance to some extent so we don't get him sick. So I just want to say I thank you. My family thanks you for your prayers, for your support, for your generosity over the last number of months and over the next month as things, things will be intense. We are eternally grateful. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back on stage for one final song. And as they do, I would just say in closing, Jesus is greater. And he will get us through 15 rounds and beyond. He is our strength. He is our great high priest who walks with us in times of trial. And so I leave you with these famous comforting words from Hebrews chapter 4, where we are told, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Have courage, because Jesus is greater. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I come before you now, Lord. We come before you now humbled. Humbled by your power, humbled by your grace, humbled by your mercy, Lord. So many of us know very vividly what it's like to be in this boxing ring right now, Lord God, with an opponent that's bigger than we imagined. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us close. Help us to know that you are all-powerful because you're God that you created us for a purpose, that you are our high priest who walks with us in times of trial, and you are our king. Thank you, Jesus. Let us go forward with faith and courage. In Jesus' name, amen.